Hello, and welcome to another episode of Making Sense of Money. I'm Nikki Jankola Shanks. And I'm Andrew Pellegrini. Today, we're diving into the world of organizing your finances and setting goals for financial success. That's right, Andrea. We'll be exploring the intricacies of financial organization and sharing strategies for goal setting. This is especially timely given the new year is upon us soon. So whether you're a seasoned financial planner or just starting on your own money management journey, we're hoping there's something for everyone in today's episode. So let's go ahead and kick things off by talking about some of the challenges people face when it comes to organizing their finances. Andrea, what are some common issues consumers face when they sit down to, to organize their finances. Absolutely, Nikki. I think that uh, as financial educators or people in the field, we probably don't talk enough about how hard it is to actually engage in financial organization and planning and strategizing. So um, some people struggle with losing receipts or forgetting due dates. Um, usually this is like from disorganization, which can lead to uh, financial stress, right? Um, but it can also be kind of a cyclical thing, this, this cyclical relationship between financial stress and disorganization. So stress can impact our cognition and how we think. So then we can forget about our bills uh, or lose track of important documents in those instances. So one way of, of dealing with this is by obviously looking for ways to handle stress generally, right? Uh, but you can also try to automate some of your financial tasks, uh, put in reminders, maybe on your phone or putting alert systems in place or build some organizational habits to help reduce some of these issues. It's so true. Even for me, being in this field of financial education, I still get very overwhelmed and I do automate a lot of my financial tasks, which helps a ton, but I also then need to build in reviewing my automated financial tasks. So that way I know I'm paying the right amount. Something didn't change due to, you know, in, in some sort of interest thing going up or uh, recently I just paid off one of our uh, bills from a furniture place. So I'm like, okay, I need to mentally go on and cancel that automatic payment. So it's it all can be overwhelming. But if you could sit down and have a clear and organized financial plan that works for you, that can make a world of difference. Um, another thing that can impact financial organization is some of the complicated aspects of just finances in general. For example, a lot of people don't know that you should keep copies of your taxes for several years after you have filed them with the IRS, just in case you get audited. I'm always surprised, and I shouldn't be, that there's so many people that don't know that. So they'll just like, cool, I filed it. The IRS has it. They don't. They won't need me to produce it again. It's on file with them. But it's always good to have your own copy. Anything can happen. The IRS is obviously underfunded, so... All of that can be really helpful for managing the the stress that comes with auditing if if you get audited. 
Um, another thing that we've talked about in the past is data security and how that can kind of impact your, your finances. So if you keep some things electronically, but you also keep paper versions, it can be kind of cumbersome and stressful just to remember like where everything is when you need something. So you might consider like making a document or like whether it's digital or, or physical, where you know you have a, a map of where all those things are. Like my backups are digital. I have printed copies of my receipts for large items or whatever in my my home vault. Or some people will, will um, pay for uh, getting a space at a bank, right? A vault at a bank, like a lockbox. Although I will say a lot of banks are getting rid of their lock boxes. Oh, that's good to know. Their safety deposit boxes. Yeah. My um, mom actually had stuff in a safety deposit box from Chase Bank. And we got notified through hard letter that they were getting rid of their safety deposit boxes. So she had to go in and empty it. So that's good to know. And I don't, I don't know if that's true all across the board, if it was just this one bank, like whatever, but just something, just a fun, fun timbit. Well, it might limit what options you thought were available. And we might need to end up doing a podcast on how to choose uh, or what features to look for in buying your own home vault or, or box. For sure. Nikki, another thing that we often talk about when we talk about goal setting, financial planning is SMART goals. So you want to remind our listeners what SMART goals are and why they're so effective? Absolutely. Um, SMART goals stands for specific, measurable, agreed upon, realistic, and time-bound These criteria can help people set clear and actionable objectives. And when it comes to financial planning, SMART goals can provide a roadmap for success. I just want to note SMART goals are for any type of goal that you want. We're just going to talk about it in terms of how you could apply SMART goals to your financial planning and financial organization. And there's different like words used to refer to the features of the acronym, depending on how you apply it. So um, we're using the specific measurable agreed upon realistic and time bound in, in our instance, but you might've heard of other things, but let's break down the SMART goal acronym a little bit more. Nikki, can you talk a little bit about why having a specific goal is crucial for a clear financial objective? Being specific helps you define exactly what you want to achieve. So instead of saying save money, you might say save $5,000 for an emergency fund by the end of the year. Kind of breaks it down. It gets it specific because if you just are saying, I want to save money to go on vacation, That's a little bit more specific, but if you break it down to exactly what vacation you're looking forward to, then you know exactly what goal you're, you're trying to reach. Well, and that specific criteria is also sometimes where people use visual metaphors to help motivate their behavior. So that will kind of help you reach your goals by appealing to your emotions about a, a, a goal or helping you to kind of 
picture what success looks like for you. So um, in the past, for example, different retirement planning efforts have leveraged aging filters. Um, like you upload your photo and it ages your, your photo uh, to help people visualize what they'll look like at retirement age. And that kind of highlights the reality of the aging process and, and can help motivate um, people to focus on retirement as a goal, right? Um, so in 2013, like 10 years ago, Bank of America had an app and that was called Face Retirement that did this thing. Um, and then this year, people have been using the TikTok filter that ages you. And people are saying that that might be um, a way for financial planners to kind of get people interested in starting goal setting for retirement a little bit earlier. So I'll put links to the, we can put links to those articles in the show notes on those different ways that kind of visualizations have motivated behavior by being more specific. But let's talk about what measurable means in the SMART goal setting method. Nikki, you want to talk about that? I definitely will. But I love that you were able to find articles about TikTok and the age filter helping financial planning. It's why Andrea is the queen of research. All right. So measurable goals allow you to track your progress. In our example, each month, you can check how much you've saved total to ensure you're on target to reach your goal by the date that you have in mind. This is pretty easy with most financial goals, but maybe your financial goal is organizing your fi financial documents. Maybe you set subtasks to complete like, quote, inventory all my camera equipment for insurance programs or ask my adult nephew to be my power of attorney for healthcare in case I get sick. By breaking it down, it helps you keep on track and it also is a feeling of accomplishment. And it makes it more manageable, especially for those bigger goals. Um, so agreed upon emphasizes the importance of getting buy-in from all your relevant stakeholders. So maybe it's um, your roommate who you're going on a trip with or your spouse who you're buying a house with. Um, but it ensures that everyone that's involved in the goal setting process agrees on both its significance and its feasibility. So if we go back to that original example, it means discussing and agreeing with your partner that saving for $5,000 towards an emergency fund is both reasonable and a shared objective. You might have different ideas about what amount is appropriate for an emergency fund or what might be a, a bigger priority, though that's a pretty good good priority from a financial planning perspective. All right. So now R for realistic goals align with your overall financial plan and consider what resources you have to commit to that goal. So if your average monthly income is $4,000 and your living expenses and debt payments are $3,500 each month, it's not going to be realistic to set a goal of setting aside $1,000 per month towards a down payment of a new home. I would also like to say winning the lottery is also not a real realistic goal. You want to make your goal something that you can actually achieve. Absolutely. That's a good point. Um, some people re will rely on 
winning the lottery as a, an option for retirement when it's not feasible for most people. Um, so setting a time frame, that time bound piece helps to add both some urgency to, to your behaviors and your goal setting efforts and some accountability. So saying you'll save $5,000 towards an emergency fund by the end of the year creates that sense of commitment and focus. However, it's also important to remember that creating a list of goals doesn't mean that they will automatically happen, right? So making sure that you're incorporating habits and tools into your approach will help you be more successful. So the other thing that we want to acknowledge is life is difficult, and that may mean that you need to regularly reevaluate your goals and change what your priorities are. For example, a year ago, um, your life probably looked way different than it does now. Five years ago, you might have had different people in your life. And so either you have new people in your life that you you need to agree on goals with or things might have changed. So it's important to revisit those things and um, that you reprioritize what goals are most important to you. For example, um, I had to replace the roof on my garage recently, uh, which meant that the timelines on some of my other goals uh, that I shared with my partner had to be shifted around and we had to move that prior, that goal, which we had, like save for the the um, replacing the garage roof. We just had to move it way up because the need became a lot uh, higher when we realized there were squirrels in our garage attic, right? So, and that's okay, right? We just had to move some priorities around. But sometimes people get really stuck on those priorities and don't realize that, um, you can't do everything that you need to do and be realistic about what your original goals were for those other objectives. All right. So while SMART goals are super fantastic and we love them, we talk about them a lot, there are also other effective approaches to goal setting. So let's explore some of those alternative methods, um, starting with OKRs or Objectives and Key Results, which was popularized by Andy Grove in uh, the 1970s, and they're typically used in strategic planning for businesses. But Nikki, how might we use OKRs in personal financial planning? So, so OKRs help you define clear objectives and measurable key results. So let's say your objective is to increase your net worth. Since net worth is calculated by taking the value of all your assets minus the amount of your debt, Key results could include paying off a credit card or increasing your monthly savings or contributions to your individual retirement account, your IRA. So another unique approach is um, backward planning, which was discussed in a book by Grant Wiggins and Jay Matigi. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm sorry if I didn't. Um, but Nikki, can you explain how starting with the end goal might be more effective for some people in their goal setting efforts? Yes. So with backward planning, you start with your ultimate goal, like buying a home. Then you work backward, trying breaking it down into smaller, actionable steps, making the steps towards your big dream a lot more manageable. This is something I actually do a lot of. It's a lot easier for me to, to start with what I want and then 
figure out the steps I need or my husband and I, like what we need to do to get there. That's great that you actually implement that. And I think a lot of people probably do um, in different ways. Just here gives you uh, some terminology to refer to it. I mean, I would even say besides financial planning, this is something I even use for like Christmas plans, right? Like, all right, well, if we need to leave at this time, we need to do this and I need to do that. Like it just, it, and then we said it in the beginning of the podcast. The important thing is that you find a method that works best for you, for your finances. It doesn't matter if it works for some, somebody else, some other way. Andrea and I are very different. Andrea is like literally the queen of spreadsheets. I have seen them. I wish I was. I'm just not. That's just not how my brain works. So it's easier for me to do things a little bit differently. And that's fine. Like it's the most important thing is that it works for you and is something that you can commit to. Well, and I think with my spreadsheets, it's a way to visualize information in, in a way that's easily shareable. So like, you know, many years ago when it was just me making plans for myself, I'd probably just like write a list and make a map so I could visualize it. But now I have to share with other people. I work in collaborative teams a lot. So it's a lot easier to like figure out a a digital shareable document in that way. But you might be someone that does bullet journaling. And if it's just you and you don't have to share it with other people, there is no like a bunch of changes to your plan that need to be constantly kind of figured out, then maybe that works better for you. As far as like recording my behaviors in this spreadsheet, like my expenses, I don't do that. I don't like that. It's a tedious process. So there's also that difference between planning and implementation, which is why earlier I talked about making sure to incorporate behaviors not just making a list of goals, right? So excellent point, Nikki. Um, Another method of uh, goal setting that's kind of interesting is the WHOOP method, which was developed by a psychologist named Gabriel Otengen and some of her colleagues. But Nikki, why don't you walk us through how WHOOP works? WHOOP? Not like W-H-O-O-P, right? Because like, that's how I visualize that word. So W-O-O-P stands for wish, outcome, obstacle, and plan. So you start with your wish. You envision the positive outcome. You identify what your potential obstacles are. And then you create a plan to overcome them. It's a very powerful psychological approach to goal setting. Very different than some of the other ones that we've talked about. But again, that may be the method that works for you. Now, um, here's a fun one. Gamification. So how can turning financial goals into a game make a difference? Um, Since this is something that is actually one of my research interests, I'm going to talk a little bit about this one. Um, Gamification adds an element of fun or engagement to the process of um, achieving your financial goals. So there are a lot of apps and platforms that turn saving or budgeting into a game, making it a little bit more enjoyable or more motivating. However, 
Uh, it's also important to recognize that some businesses have picked up on the power of gamification for encouraging certain types of financial decision-making that may not be in the best interest of the consumer. So it's also something to be aware of that it exists out in the consumer world. Um, for example, there's some investing apps that have used gamification methods to keep investors engaged, which has had real impacts on users' willingness to take risks. Um, and there's actually been some studies on that, which we'll link to in the show notes. Um, it's also brought up some ethical concerns for regulators, both in the United States and in the UK, uh, but I'm sure in other economies where these types of gamification methods exist. So it's one of those double-edged swords. So just be careful with gamification. You can create your own gamification in order to motivate your behavior towards a goal, but just be aware that it also exists outside of you creating it for yourself. I also know that there's been some gamification when it comes to teaching kids about finances in particular. So if you do have a child at home, even if they're, you know, an older child, like myself, no. <laughs> there may be some, uh, apps or games, whatever it might be that, that can teach some of those basic concepts in a little bit more fun way and help them work towards a much smaller goal than, you know, buying a house. Yeah. So uh, like some of those games, instead of searching for gamification, you might search for games for financial education or games for financial literacy. If you're looking for something to support um, learning about money. And the last method that we're going to talk about today is called the ABC method. Andrea, can you walk us through what that one is? The ABC method is rooted in behavior modification. So A refers to antecedents, B refers to behaviors, and C refers to consequences. Um, within the goal setting framework, it helps you understand the triggers or antecedents of your financial behaviors. Uh, the behaviors themselves, and then the consequences of those behaviors. So it's kind of a mindful way to change habits and achieve financial goals. So now that we've kind of explored all these different methods, what are some things that you should consider when prioritizing your goals? If you want to go over those, Nikki. So prioritizing is very crucial, particularly when you have multiple goals, which I would argue probably is the majority of people, right? So the one way to prioritize is to evaluate the urgency and the importance of each goal. So you can create what's called an Eisenhower matrix to classify your goals into four different quadrants. The first would be urgent and important. The second, important but not urgent. The third would be urgent, but not important. And the fourth would be neither urgent nor important. So using Andrea's roof example from earlier, she obviously needs a roof that works and does not leak. So that would be categorized as a one. Me really wanting to go on vacation to like an all-inclusive resort is unfortunately a four. It is neither urgent nor important. 
So this is just another tool that's helpful for focusing on what might need immediate attention versus what can be planned for the future. Excellent illustration, Nikki. So you might want to prioritize your goals based on your values and what's important to you. So this requires you to kind of identify what your core values are and to align your financial goals with both your beliefs and aspirations. And, and so there's that synergy between your behaviors and your values, which is what most of us want. So that might be a way that you prioritize your goals. Some other things to consider may be the financial impact that each goal has. And this is where maybe hiring a financial advisor would be beneficial for you. Um, looking at time horizons to achieve each goal and classify them as short-term, medium-term, or long-term. Personally, my husband and I do have a financial advisor, and for me, it helps tremendously. And we do, he sat down, and the first thing he does is ask, what are your short-term goals? What are your longer-term goals? Including, like, when you guys retire, how often do you want to travel? in your ideal world. So that way we could plan for stuff like that. That's definitely not something that if I was on my own, I could do. I know other people are capable, but it's that type of thinking that helps. The external asking of questions can be really helpful for prioritizing what your goals are and how you get there too. So you might also want to consider if the goals that you're setting are interdependent on each other. Um, and prioritize them based on how they're related. So uh, similar to the Eisenhower matrix that Nikki talked about earlier, you may want to just kind of rank them with a scoring method that you come up with based on how they are interrelated to each other and kind of prioritize based on, right, I want to do an upgrade to my house, but I need to do these other things first before I can do that. That might be how you prioritize how you're going to do your construction goals for your house. You might also think about risk alignment with what life stage you're in, what resources you have available to contribute towards those goals, or what advice you get from financial professionals. I feel like we covered a lot of different aspects of both goal setting and implementation today, Nikki. So hopefully we um, we covered some of the complexities of financial organization and explored some of the goal setting methodologies that will help you both feel seen and, and heard and help you think about the future. And whether you're a fan of smart goals or you want to try something new, hopefully there's something here that will suit your style. Absolutely. Remember, again, there's just no one size fits all approach to financial planning. So again, it's what works for you. As Andrea mentioned, we tend to talk a lot about smart goals. So we took today to kind of throw out some other different ideas that we'll definitely link in the show notes for more information. Um, but as we head into 2024, make financial planning and organizing a goal of yours using one of these methods. So again, thank you for joining us on Making Sense of Money. We hope this episode has provided some valuable insights into mastering your money. And don't forget to share your thoughts and experiences with us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. So for those of you that don't know, we're on at least IDFPR and the Student Money Management Center are on 
Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. I think I nailed all of those. Yes. And we will, again, have links in the show notes for you to interact. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll continue to unravel the mysteries of of personal finance. We will be taking a little bit of a holiday break over the winter. So look for our next episode in January. Until then, keep making sense of your money. Take care, everybody.